The title of the message, The Most Important Math, and, and, I, and I smiled to myself when I named it that because I thought half the audience is going to have a panic attack. Because <clears throat> I know how many people don't like math, <clears throat> don't want anything to do with math. But I think you'll be able to get this. Because it, let, let's, let's do this. Um, two plus two is So I think you'll be able to handle it. The most important math. We're talking about our memory scripture, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. And, and we've been talking about this formula of Jesus saying, we have to, if we're going to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. In the New uh, Living Translation, it, is, it goes like this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. So when he talks about denying yourself, you give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are, lo but are yourself lost or destroyed? And then the message, which is a, um, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, paraphrase uh, but sometimes captures it really well. It says, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all, and I like that. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? I had planned to move on and um, look at some other... Uh, and, and go into talking more about what it looks like to have constant conversation. But as I was praying this week, I, I just sensed that God wanted us to spend more time on these three verses, to really grab them and capture them, embrace them, and, and let them just kind of get into our soul because of how important they are. And, and one of the things that, that I believe is so important is that we hear what Jesus is saying through the context of who he is, through his character. The default for most people is to hear words that are challenging from Jesus as if he is scolding us, as if, as if he is demanding from us, as if he is putting us down as if he has got his finger in our face and he is demanding that we follow. And so I think it's important that we shift to see and hear the, these words in these three verses through the real person of, of Jesus Christ, who represents a, a, a God who loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. And so instead of it being scolding or demanding, we need to see and read these words as an invitation. He's inviting us to, and I like that. Yes, please, com com 
Because these people, the, yeah, thank, thank you for visiting. Because these people, yeah, the, these people just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So follow her lead. Yeah. Thank you. It's an invitation. It's not scolding. He's saying, I, I want what's best for you. We need to hear it through his desire for us to experience what he created us for. Relationship with him. Not turning to the world, not living upside down, it was, which is where sin leads us, but right side up. His longing for us. That he is really, uh, that when we are with him, he is with us. That when we follow him, he pulls out, as Romans says, he, he, um, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him also give us all things? The resources of heaven for us to, to follow him and do what he wants us to do. Through the lens of his character, his desire, as a statement of what, and, and, as, a, and as a statement of what he's about to model as he goes to the cross. Yesterday we had a work day. Um, and many of you here in Thank you if you showed up for the work day. I mean, there was a lot of people here, and you guys worked hard. For the first time in the history of New Song, we had a six-hour work day that ended after three hours. Wow. Because the work, the list was done. So either Jeff didn't have a long enough list, <laughs> or you guys are really good workers. And so I have to apologize, because I lied to you, um, because we said we would provide lunch, but... You got done before lunch. So we didn't provide lunch. We just sent you home to do whatever you wanted to do. Um, and so we had a great work day. It was good fellowship, and we got a whole lot of stuff done. But one of the, the, the big jobs was, and some of you are aware, that we have had water coming in this wall and, you know, under, in, and soak the carpet several different times. And so Mike and Mick... Um, took a look at it and came up with a plan to excavate. And, and so a lot of you guys worked hard to, to dig out this, this area on the other side of this wall and to haul and then haul dirt down from above and wheelbarrow it down and, and create and to try to get the water away from the wall. At one point, Mick and Mike took me over and they said, uh, we need to show you something because you need to go, well, they didn't say you, but the implication was there. You need to go to the borough and talk to them about this. There's a cul-de-sac over here, and the water was running over the cul-de-sac. There wasn't anything to stop it the, where the water was supposed to go down in, in the great, what is that called? A, Storm sewer? A sewer, a, a catch basin. It was too high, and so the water was literally coming onto our property and into this wall and creating this pool of water, and that's part of what was coming down. And so you guys did a great job, and it looks, looks really good. It looks like solved the problem. Um, and so th the three of us were talking about that, and the implication was, Herb, you're the pastor. You need to go to the borough. You need to talk to this bureau. You know, you need to take hours and hours out of your day <laughs> in order to deal with this. No, that wasn't really what they were saying. No. I was going to tell Jeff to do it. <laughs> no. We actually, um, I know the borough manager, he's come to Rotary, great guy, they, they're really good. But everybody, so pretty much everybody scattered, and Mike was here just kind of taking care of a few things. And then something happened that I couldn't believe. So I, I asked Mike if he would come up and, and t t tell us what happened next. 
Well, Pastor has already mentioned all the different things I was thinking I was going to have to tell you with the water coming in the wall and the things that need to be done to mitigate the issue. And I want to say that the crew that was working there that did the job did a marvelous job at that. And I'd like to give a clap out to you guys, but I can't do it with one hand. But yep. Um, yep, good job. Thank you. You did a marvelous job at that. Somewhere along the, oh, before I do that, I want to do one reading here, a partial reading from the daily devotional that many of you have been going through. And we still have a few back there if you, if and, you guys are interested. And the thing that's, uh, this is for this weekend, and I'm just going to read just a small excerpt of that. It says, these people encountered angels in otherwise normal state of mind not in dreams and in visions. And he often, however, the people involved didn't realize that they were interacting with an angel of the Lord until the conversation was nearly over. How they must have felt then that reflected on the things that occurred were more than just a little bit strange. Well, you can have that. Thank you. <laughs> Yesterday, we would... We'd uh, we're working on that wall as was mentioned and somewhere in the middle of that we, we walked up on this to try to find out where that water was coming from and it, as the pastor had mentioned the water coming down from this uh, as you call it a cul-de-sac and it runs over that whenever the ground is really moist and very saturated and, and we get these deluge that's when we've had the problems but yesterday's uh, I think we've mitigated that issue but we were up there and looking at what needed to be done with that road up above. And we noticed that the, that the uh, catch basins were up a little bit high and, the, and there's a, what's called a crown over the edge where water comes down the hill and would go over that. Well, we had discussed that for a while and then later on, you know, we, we walked away and I'm thinking, well, somebody will probably call about going to the borough. We had finished up Everybody had walked away, pretty much cleared out, as the pastor had mentioned. And then the interesting thing happened. I'm out there taking some pictures and saying what a wonderful job we did, because I wanted to pass some pictures off to Rusta so that he could see the before and after stuff, since he's not here. And as I'm out there, peering through these, the trees that are out there, I'm seeing an individual in a yellow vested uh, construction vest and, uh, and I think, I, I thought it might have been a neighbor, but it's strange he has a, a yellow vest on. And he's also got one of these paint can things, you know, just to paint on the, on the ground. And so I go over there, just kind of curious, and I go talk with him a little bit. And he's marking out that road up there to get it redone. So the catch basin is going to be lowered. And the ridge, or uh, called the crown up there, and if you don't believe me, this is, uh, this is after Pastor had looked at, but there's paint marks up there, pink paint marks that says lower uh, where the basins are and crown where the edge is to capture the water. And I'm thinking, such a strange event here. Pastor must have called, or somebody must have called, and so I come down here, running down, and I says, you know, hey, Pastor, there's somebody up there that I talked to it, it, they came really quick. I, I told the individual, I said, I've never seen, you know, as far as people coming that fast. Now, you got to understand, yesterday was Saturday. 
not considered a normal work day for most people, especially for borough individuals. And so we end up having that situation happen up there. And um, I'm not, uh, you know, maybe you believe in coincidences and maybe you uh, think that there's, but this is a God thing, I think. So, because you gotta look at the situation. Saturday, an individual shows up, nobody called the individual, and it's just the timing of it seemed, as the book says, as the devotional says, a strange event. Now here's the other thing that was strange. I'm out there and I'm looking up there and I can see this road going all the way up to where the, uh, uh, we call the, um, the grooming, the pet grooming places up there. I see all the way up there, and there's only a couple cars on the side of residences that's there. And there's no, and on the back street here, there's no cars there from the borough. No cars from the borough up there. It's just an individual standing there painting little marks on the, up, uh, for the borough to do the work. <laughs> and I'm, wo I'm wondering, where did he come from? I go back out there again and look, he's not there. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but um, as the, it just timing wise with the book, with the, the devotional, it just seems so apropos to share that story with you. So. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And so I wanted him to share, I wanted to talk about that because, you know, I just appreciate all the work that you guys did, but I, Mike came in and, he, and he's just, it's almost like he's got this shock look on his face. It's like, he just disappeared. So, so my mind started going, what if it was an angel out there marking it? And then on Monday, the borough comes down and goes, who marked this? I didn't mark it. Do you mark it? I, don't I guess we got to do the work. I mean, it's... But we were talking about it, and then it's not a coincidence. God takes care of us when we're, when we're seeking Him, when we're striving. And, and I think part of it is out of the obedience of us taking care of the property that he's, this, is, this belongs to Him. And He just, I, and I, when He told me, I go, they don't come out on Saturday. It's hard enough to get them to come out during the week. Well, so. <laughs> God is working. And, and does God do that for us? Why? Because out of his incredible love and character, he marshals the resources of heaven. When we are surrendering, listening, and obeying, when we are striving to live this kind of life that, that we find described here, he does it. And so when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's an invitation. It's not scolding. It's not driving. It's not enslaving. It's an invitation to experience the life that he wants for us. And so as I was going through the week and saying, God, what did, do you want us to spend some time here? I just felt like we had been repeating this verse for almost a couple of months. And I think he wants us to dig deeper. I think he wants to go a little bit deeper and challenge us to accept his invitation to surrender more deeply. So um, let's talk about it. The background of Luke chapter 9, this, this, the, these statements in verses 23 to 25, follows Jesus asking disciples, who do men say that I am? 
And if you remember the incident, it was that, you know, some said Elijah, some said other prophets. And then he, and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter makes that great sta- statement under the, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so it, this statement follows that and, and, and that Jesus telling them he is going to suffer, be arrested, killed, and then rise again. And so he had been challenging them, and he's been bringing this, and, and it's not long before he will experience being crucified and modeling what it looks like to deny himself, take up his cross, and do what the Father wants him to do. So let's talk about it. Let's, so let's, in, in digging deeper into this passage of Scripture, let's look at it. Number one, we see the first is the sobering choice to follow Christ. We get so familiar with a passage of scripture like this that we don't recognize the depth of surrender he's talking about. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's say that together. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That means to set aside, first of all, to set aside our will. To set aside what we want. To set aside our preferences. Set aside what we think is best. Is to to set aside, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That is to put myself aside and say, I will choose to be loyal to Christ, no matter what it means in the small things or the big things, to set aside my will. And do you realize that you, you, we, we call some children strong-willed, but every one of us have a strong will. We're built with the default of being upside down and wanting what we want. I can guarantee you that one of the first words that you ever spoke was me or mine. Especially if you had older siblings who were always taking your toys from you. Because our default is to say, I want what I want, and I know best. Instead of saying, I'm going to deny myself. Here, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, the last part of the verse, he said, here's, here's what it's like for me. I die daily. And that's really what we talk about when we talk about knees and nudges is getting on our knees every day saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I give myself to you. This is, I'm, I'm yours. My day's yours. Everything's yours. That's denying ourselves. Denial is a requirement. Second part of it is we have to do our daily duty no matter the cost. We have to do our daily duty no matter the cost. The second part Take up your cro- his cross daily. Take up his cross daily. That doesn't mean every one of us will be crucified as Jesus was. The cross represents our responsibility, our duty, and it involves pain. It involves hard things. What would you think if you, as a young person, went to a military recruiter, and and you had decided that you wanted to be the best of the best. You wanted to be the very best. And you said, I would like to be part of the special ops of of your branch of the service. 
And, the, and what, what would you think if the recruiter said to you, oh, well, that's a great, that's great, that's really good. Um, you know, in order to do that, then we will put you up in the Hyatt Regency in the, pen, in, in, what is that called, the yeah. penthouse. And, uh, you, you know, you can eat whatever you want, you can do whatever, you know, show up whenever you like and uh, get the training that you want. And then when we have a, a, a special operation, then we'll, we'll call you in plenty of time. Um, and it won't be long, you know, and you'll get the best. What would you, you, what would you think? Yeah, they're crazy because we know to be a part of a special ops military group, you have to pretty much sign your life off and be willing to die for other people. And so Jesus knows that. And he says, I'm being honest with you. If you want to follow me, you have to do that. You have to be willing to sign your life away for me, trusting that I am the almighty God who loves you more than you can imagine, but you've got to be willing to deny yourself. And it's going to be hard. How is that in, in contrast with so much of American Christianity? Because all you have to do is just, you know, just come, sign online, you know, and, and then everything will be fine. You know, live your best life now. All those guys, you know, it, and, but Jesus is honest with the heroes. No, if you want to follow me, if you want to live right side up, if you want to experience all that I have, it's going to be hard. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I've spoken all this to you so that you can have peace. Peace that transcends all our understanding. It's not, it's not the world of this. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Tribulation is difficulties. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have to face the cross. And for the, the 11 who, would, the, who were chosen that followed him, that would mean either death for 10 of them by martyrdom and, and then being expelled for one of them to an island to live out his last days. So why would we think it would be any different for us? In this world, you're going to have difficulties, but take heart. I've overcome the world. If you want to experience the satisfaction, then you have to go through the pain. Pain is necessary. And so here's a question that I've asked from time to time over the years. Is there anything that Jesus could ask you to do to which you would say, no, that's too much? Is there anything that he could ask you to give up? Your spouse, your children, your livelihood, your possessions, your health? Is there anything that he could say, I need you to trust me with that so that you can do what I need you to do? Because if there's anything that you, to which you would say no, you're not denying yourself and you're not taking up your cross. But if we don't understand that comes out of the character of God, out of his love for us, we will rebel against it. Because we'll think, it, we'll, we'll think he's just being mean to us. We'll think he's being harsh to us. And so he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, set aside his will, take up his cross daily, do our duty no matter the cost. And then follow me. Walk in step every day with me, no matter where it takes you. One of the commentaries said, let that man be prepared to give up earthly ease and comfort and be ready to bear the sufferings, which will be sure to fall on him 
if he struggles to follow Christ. Follow me, Jesus says. Why would anybody do that? Unless they really believe that God is all loving God and he knows what's best. And it's not about this life, it's about the next. Matthew chapter 7, turn your Bible there. Matthew chapter 7, beginning of verse 21. Anybody need a Bible? We've got a few in the back. Anybody else? Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. This was during the Sermon on the Mount, so it was a couple of years before the scripture that we've been looking at in Luke chapter 9. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, I am a follower of Jesus. Not everyone who says, I'm going, I will do whatever you want me to do, Lord. And we see through the Gospels that there are many people who made that claim and then they abandoned him. Not everyone who says it, not everyone who comes to worship on a Sunday, not everyone who reads the Bible, not everyone who gives, not everyone who does religious things, not everyone who appears to be following Jesus will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what we find in Luke chapter 9 is the will of God is that we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and walk in step with him, follow him. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Didn't, look at all the stuff that we did for you. Look at, all, look at all this, Jesus. Look at all the good stuff. All, remember, you know, you liked it when people prophesied. You liked it when we did good works. You liked it when we did. Look, Lord, look at all of these things. That's not the point. The point is, did you deny yourself, take up your duty, what I ask you to do, and sometimes washing feet is more important than prophesying because that's what I wanted you to do. And follow me. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The part of the problem is that we think we are surrendering everything. We think we're denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. We think we're doing that when we are doing things that we think are good things. And we're not paying enough attention to what he's saying that we're supposed to be doing. And we're holding on things that, of which we are not aware because we're not listening. Peter thought that he was denying himself, taking up his cross, and following Jesus. He declared it. Jesus says, I'm going to die and all of you will betray me. And Peter goes, no, no, even if all these other <laughs> rumdums, all these other, I will never, I will die with you. Peter honestly, genuinely thought that. And throughout my life, there have been times when I genuinely thought I had surrendered everything. And then Jesus will go, what about this? Oh, I surrendered that. And he'll say, no, you didn't. But you can now. No, we already took care of that. No, you didn't. Let me have it. Peter honestly thought. And it was revealed later when he went through crisis. 
And that's why it's so important when he says, are you willing to follow me even if your health fails, even if your relationships fail, even if, even if um, you have financial struggles, even if, even if all of these things start falling apart, are you still willing to follow me? Because those are the very things that I will use to reveal to you the things that you need to surrender so that you can really experience the abundant life I have for you. And that's hard, isn't it? I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning going, I hope today is painful. <laughs> well, if you do, <laughs> you have different problems. But we don't. But our default is not that. And yet, when they come, are, have, are we getting to the place where we go, okay, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I trust you, and I know you have good for me. And so, what are you doing? And what do you want me to do? Peter thought. So it, it's a sobering choice because it requires much more of us than we ever thought it would. Number two, the stark truth of the choice. And this should be Luke 9, 24. I think in your outline it says 23. Luke 9, 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's say that together. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's say it again. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so as I was digging deeper into this verse, I, I was struck by the starkness of it. The black and white, the either or, the, that there's no wiggle room for this. For those who would save their lives, they will actually lose it. If I'm bent on protecting what I want, and, and I think you know, the, the, the most natural way of looking at it is if I'm bent on saving this physical life, saving, protecting myself so I don't experience pain, then I'm going to lose it. And that's the stark reality that Peter had to face. Because he had, he had said, Lord, if it, even if all of these other guys betray you, I will die with you. And he meant it. He wasn't lying. He wasn't pretending. He thought he really would. And then just a short time later, it's, a, it's a, just a little slave girl who had no power whatsoever who is after Peter. You're one of them, aren't you? And he flipped to save his life. There was really no danger at that point, but he thought there was. And so he did what he had to do to save his life. He didn't want to go in front of the... He didn't want to be beaten like Jesus. He didn't want to be crucified like Jesus at that point. He, he just... And so oftentimes we think we are there. But whoever would focuses on saving his life, protecting himself, holding on to what they have, this stuff in the temporal, temporal world will actually lose it. In the end, we go back to that uh, scripture in Jesus. In the end, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because you were all about protecting yourself. You didn't really buy into me. 
You weren't really following me. But then on the flip side, the part two, he says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And, and the, the obvious example is Peter then later, after the Holy Spirit comes and the bravery that he has and, the, and he is sold out and, and uh, tradition tells us that when it came time for him to be crucified, he said, I don't deserve to die like my master. Crucify me upside down, which was even worse. Why? Because he would recognize what it means to lose his life. He had, he had truly bought into what it means to deny himself, give up his own will, do whatever it takes to follow him, no matter how painful it is, and then to walk in step. Those, but um, that's the obvious. The harder part is how do we live that out daily? Are there... And so let's come back to a similar question to is there anything that Jesus could ask you to do that you would say too much? Is there any danger that you could face that would be too much? Is there any reputation that you would say it's, it's too much to risk that? Is there any possession that you have that you would say, no, it's, it's too much, I can't, in order to protect yourself? We think we are surrendering everything when there are things that we often are still holding on to. The second part of this um, is, is, is the encouragement. Whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders, whoever lets go, whoever says, okay, Jesus, whatever you want, then for my sake, we'll save it. And, I, and as I was thinking about this, um, about a year ago, I came across a, a biography of Richard Wormbrand, who was, uh, he was a, a pastor under the Nazis in Romania during <laughs> World War II, and then later under the, under the Soviets. And he ended up spending, I believe it was 14 years in communist prisons or Nazi prisons. Um, and, and he, but he, he remained faithful. And, and, I, and I began to wonder, was this one of the scriptures that he held on to? Lord, I'm, I, I'm willing to lose my life. I'm willing to endure suffering. I'm willing to endure pain. I'm willing to go through this. I'm, I'm willing to, to lose my wife, I, you know, who he didn't even know what, if she was alive for years and years. I'm willing to lose my son in order to follow you. I, I, and I wondered if it, it wasn't this promise that caused Paul and Silas when they were beaten and arrested unjustly and thrown into a Philippian jail. And there they find themselves at midnight. And instead of whining and complaining like people who really haven't denied themselves, taken up their cross and follow Jesus, they began to sing praises to God. And Paul remembers his time in Philippi as one of the most joyous times of his life. I just wondered if it was, it was the reason, it was this promise that Peter and John held on to after the Holy Spirit came and they were hauled in by the Pharisees saying, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. And they said, well, you decide whether yourself, should we, should we tell the truth or not? At the risk of their lives. You see, this is why memorizing scripture, I think is so important because when those moments come, the Holy Spirit then has access and he can say, remember that promise in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, if you're losing stuff, 
you're actually saving it. If you're willing to let go of your own life, you will have it. One of my favorite martyr stories is from, if, if you've ever seen the movie The Hiding Place or read anything by Corey Ten Boom, who was imprisoned in a Nazi prison camp. She and her family were hiding Jewish refugees during World War II. And somebody ratted them out and the Nazis came and they were hauling the whole family off to be arrested. And Corey Tempum's father was, I believe, in his 70s or his 80s and, and not in very good health. And, um, and this Nazi officer said to him, you know, oh man, I, I don't want to haul you off to prison because he knew it would kill him. He goes, if you'll just promise me that you won't do this anymore, if you won't hide any more Jews, then I'll, I'll let you live the rest of your life here in your own home. And this old man turned to this Nazi officer and he said, sir, if you let me go tomorrow and the next day and every day of my life, I will save these Jews. And he died within a couple of weeks. But he refused to hold on to his life because he knew by losing his life, he would save it. Number three, and we may not get through all of this, but we'll get a start on it, is the logic and the math of the choice. The logic and the math of the choice. So verse 25, Luke chapter 9, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Let's say that together. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Again, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What do you gain if you get all you think that means the world to you, but in the end, by your own actions or somebody else doing something to you, you lose all that is of true value? What do you gain if you get the whole world. So when Jesus says this, I think he's saying, do the math. There's just this simple logic to this. What do you gain if you gain everything that you think? And so when he says, if you gain the whole world, I don't think he's literally meaning that you would be on the top of the world. I mean, I think he's saying, if you gain the whole world, everything that you think brings happiness, everything that you think is of value, you particularly... When you, when you, because each one of us have a different idea of what it would be. He says, if you gain the whole world of the things that mean things to you, and yet you lose yourself, and what do you gain? If you gain everything that you want. And so he says, do the math, do the assessment. And the, because the implied answer is nothing. You don't gain anything. And so when Jesus says this, I don't think there's anyone in the crowd going, uh, Jesus, can you draw that out on a chalkboard for me? I, I'm not sure that I quite, I quite get this. Um, because it just is a statement that makes sense, right? If you gain everything you think you want, but you lose 
your soul. How is that a good deal? Just run the return on investment for a moment. If you gain all that you want. So what is it? I, I think as a, over the years as I've, I've looked at this, I think there are really three categories defined in 1 John. Oh, no, we're going to go there later. Sorry. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I got ahead of myself. What good does it do if you gain everything that you want to make you happy, but then you end up losing it? Run the numbers, Jesus said. In Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13, he tells, he, he has this encounter and then, and then lays it out for us. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? People are always trying to get Jesus to do things that he's not going to do. You don't, but we don't do that, do we? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Our lives do not consist in the abundance of things that we have in this life. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And this is where this man should have said, okay, let me go back to Luke chapter 9 and say, what does it mean to deny myself and take up my cross, my responsibilities, even if it costs me, even if it's hard, and then follow Jesus? But instead, he said, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He was all about himself believing that the possessions that he had would make him happy, and the more possessions that he had would make him happier. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And I'll have ample, good, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So possessions and pleasure, I'll have plenty of. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself is not... So, so it is the, with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is an example of someone who tries to save himself and loses everything. Jesus is the example of someone who loses everything and pleases the Father. Peter, Richard Wormbrand, Corey Tenpum's father. You see, we have such a hard time letting go of the stuff in this world, don't we? <coughs> such a hard time. Because we can see it. Well, so let's go, let's go into number four then. The curious numbers of those who choose to follow. We've run the numbers. We did the ROI. We did the math. 
And it's, and I don't think there's anybody here, I won't ask you to hold up your hand, I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't understand the reality of this, the truth of it, is if I live my whole life and I gain everything that I want, but then if I die and I go to hell, it's not going to matter, right? I mean, are we, are we clear on that? So why in the world would the numbers be like this? Flip over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I didn't put it up here. Not First John yet. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is, uh, again, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so here are the numbers that he tells us. Here are the people. Here are the numbers. Here's the comparison of people who will actually do what I'm telling you to do in order to gain eternal life. The numbers of people who will deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me are the narrow. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who refuse to deny themselves, who refuse to take up their cross and follow Jesus, and, and the, they, that leads to destruction. That's the wide. And those who enter by it are many. Isn't that the world we live in? If you look at all the people who even, even the people who have heard about Jesus, by and large, they don't make the choice. But he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me, is hard. And few, there, and those who find it are few. Why in the world? Why? I think it comes down to three things. Is it that people don't believe the math? Maybe. Is it that they don't believe that what God offers truly is better? I think that's a lot of it. Because what you can see, taste, touch, and feel, what, you know, what's in front of us is so overwhelming. They, I think for a lot of them, they, don't have no, they have no point of reference. You know, they see, oftentimes they see people who claim to be following Christ and look like they're sucking on a lemon all the time right? And they don't see any abundant life. They don't see the joy. So we have to be turning it right side up. So who comes to mind? Here's audience participation time. I don't know how far we're going to get in this. I think we're going to come back next week. Who comes to mind when you think of people who gain the whole world and lose their soul? Celebrities? Anybody in particular? I'm getting very personal. I mean, in my lifetime, I, you know, I go back. I, I remember the day that Elvis died. What a sad, sad story. He gained the whole world. He gained everything that was important to him, right? Fame, money, pleasure, and all those things. And he ended up dying at a young age of a drug overdose. Who else? Robin Williams. Robin Williams committed suicide. At, and after uh, seeming to have the world at his fingertips. Who else? Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Who else? Gandhi. Who? Gandhi. Gandhi. Yeah, I hadn't thought of him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, living, he wasn't living for Christ. Who else? Hitler, 
He, would, he thought he had the world at his fingertips. Yep. Anybody else? Michael Jackson? Prince? So many people in every industry, they think they have, they think they have it. So what is it that would mean the world to you? Because that's what Jesus is talking about. He who gains the world. You know, it's interesting, and I guess I'll close with this. Yesterday we had this work day, and um, Susan and Joanne, this Susan, we've got so many Susans around here now. <laughs> Susan and Joanne volunteered to clean, help me clean out my office, which is like an ongoing project, <laughs> perennial work day. Actually, they threatened me, I think. <laughs> you got to get this mess cleaned up. And um, so I got books, all kinds of books that I bought over the years. And it was interesting because we wanted to clear out some space on the bookshelves. And, and so I was going through all of my books. And as I was going through my books, one of the things that hit me is, is I would pull books by pastors and leaders. And I'd realize, oh, he wasn't who he said he was. It appeared he was at the, you know, he was the top. He had the world. He gained the whole world. He had fame. He had money. He had popularity. He had a mega church. And then he went off the deep end. And then I came across another author. I went, that one blew it too. And I can't tell you how many books I just pulled off my shelf. I don't want anything to do with that because evidently they weren't living the way that, at least at the end they weren't. And it just struck me afterwards how many people I've looked up to over the years thinking, wow, that's what it means to be successful. And now I'm pulling their books off the shelf and giving them or throwing them away. Why? Because it's not what the appearance is. And so oftentimes we, get, we buy into the appearance instead of the reality, the humility. And then my mind has gone back to a lady named Sister Barnhart, who was a part of the church that I grew up in. Sister Barnhart was, I don't, I think she was 100 years old when I was a kid. I mean, she just seemed like ancient. Yeah, she was this quiet, white-haired lady who taught forever eighth graders, eighth grade Sunday school. And you're going, if you could pick an age where no, you, I mean, you don't want, even want to be around, let alone try to teach them anything. But she taught eighth graders. And here's the deal is... Seven, sixth and seventh graders as they're so I was a part of a fairly large congregation so there was multiple uh, Sunday school classes for each grade level so I think there were like two or three different teachers for eighth grade students and as the sixth and seventh graders would come up they would hear the people who were in Sister Barnhart's Sunday school class talking and everybody wanted to be in Sister Barnhart's Sunday school class 
And then I, I didn't get to be in her class. She probably looked at me and goes, ah, no. So not over there. And I would hear, but my sister was, my sister was just a year younger than me was. And she would come home talking about what Sister Barnhart was talking about. And, and I discovered she wasn't even teaching the curriculum. She would pull those eighth graders into class and she would open the Bible and she would talk about the Bible in such a way that it got these eighth grade students so enamored with Jesus that they just loved Jesus. Sister Barnhart never pastored a church. She was never known outside of the main lane church of God as far as I know. But she influenced these people and it was because she had learned in her world what it meant to deny herself. Take up her cross, her responsibility, what God wanted her to do, and follow Jesus. And it oozed into the, and some of those eighth graders that were in her class are pastors today because she had such a powerful influence. She was willing to lose herself. And you know what? She gained the world. She gained the world that God had for her. So we'll come back to the rest next week. But during this week, so I want you to challenge yourself as you spend time with God and ask him specifically this question. Is there any area in my life, Lord, where I'm not denying myself? I'm not taking up my cross and I'm not following you. Because we are really good at fooling ourselves deceiving ourselves. But God loves you so much. He's willing to send angels to the cul-de-sac. <laughs> he loves you so much that he wants to let you know so that you'll surrender to him and experience the joy that he wants you to have. Would you bow your heads? I want to invite you starting right now to ask that question. Lord, this week, would you reveal to me areas of my life where I need to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow you? And then as you go through your week, just listen. It may be as you're spending time with him. Maybe as you're reading the Bible. It may be as you're driving, walking, talking to a friend. But what I know is that the God of the universe loves you more than you can even imagine. And he wants to let you know. He wants you to have abundant, satisfying joy. He wants you to have the world, his world. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And I pray that you would help us to to see these words, hear these words more and more and more through you, who you really are and what you are really trying to say and that we will be willing to cooperate with them. Challenge us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any prayer requests or if you have... Um, 